poverty is always a problem. It's just something for you to understand. Poverty is a problem and it's never a blessing, never a blessing. And it's certainly never an aspiration that the Bible would recommend for anybody. It's a problem. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hi, Mark. Let's talk about where we are. For people who can't see us, um, both of our backgrounds are abnormal. What's What's happening in your world? I'm in the basement right now because the Outpost World Headquarters is being uh, painted. Oh. We had some custom cabinets. You'll enjoy this. Yeah. One of our mutual friends, Mr. Paul Nichols, traveled from Cincinnati to Utah to build me a custom set of cabinets. And uh, there's bookshelves, there's drawers, cabinets. Everything. I, I, they're wonderful, very high quality. And um, because Salt Lake is just crazy right now when it comes to all things construction, he was able to make a profitable visit out to Utah for him and provide me high quality stuff for less than I would have spent to get some Yahoo around here to build it. Okay, well, let's turn this into a quick uh, Kingdom Business Corner, shall we? So Paul Nichols operates out of Cincinnati, but it looks like he's willing to travel if you live in a wonderful mountain city. And you got to make it sweet for him, but I, I think so. So if it's another if it's another brother with a nice chewy project and there's some uh, profits in them for uh, Paul, he might be willing to travel. So what's Paul's business? Steven, Paul's business is called Iron Rose Furniture Company. Okay. Uh, the best way that our listening audience could check them out, I think, is to go to Instagram and type in at Iron Rose Furniture. Okay. And you can see all sorts of cool stuff. You won't see my cabinets yet because that's a part of what's being painted right now. <laughs> okay. But uh, there's this really cool Ohio-made brand that he puts on all of his stuff. So nice. My built-in countertops in in utah have an ohio made brand and oh that's neat iron rose furniture brand um and i also have to say i'm delighted that the the boxes for the drawers that we had installed yes paul's paul's a smart guy he doesn't he doesn't do everything himself he he subcontracted that work out to an amish fellow oh from your neck of the woods. So I now have Amish built dovetail drawers in my home. And I like that. Did he, did he ferry those drawers with him to you? Oh yeah. He had, he brought a lot of it with him pre wow. preassembled so that he could get it done in the time he had. That's amazing. Okay. So let me ask this question. Those cabinets are being painted, but those cabinets are not inside your office. That's right. But the overall construction scene that's happening in the second floor of my house would make this podcast maybe even less pleasant than the last podcast we did (laughs) where people could intermittently hardly hear what Ross was saying. Now, let me say something for a second about the audio, which you'll notice I'm off my game again today because I don't have my uh, fancy mic with me. I'm just talking to my computer. We've talked about the audio on this podcast before. Let me just say, some people assume that because I have been a songwriter before and am, and am comfortable behind a microphone, that I understand how audio world works. And there are people called audio engineers, and that's their whole thing. I, I'm doing my best to cobble together some, some kind of system for a podcast. And if, if there's some audio genius out there who loves us and he has a business called Audio Rose, and he wants to put a made in uh, Kentucky stamp on his stuff that he gives us. Uh, we would take all the help we can get. We're, we're, we're doing our best here. And I apologize for the wonderful interview with Ross Dykstra, not sounding as good as it might have. 
that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife was one of those people who said, isn't Steven like spent his whole life with sound uh, production? Thing? I understand the criticism. I, I understand. Now, to answer the question of where I am, you'll see behind me there's fishing poles and it looks like a picture of my, my grandson on a boat here, um, which I don't have a grandson. I had, a, I had an invitation by a, a dear friend in Cincinnati who invited me to come out to their lake house and pray for the day. And so I just kind of dropped everything and said yes. So I've been here for the day and I am in a gorgeous spot in outside of Hillsboro, Ohio on a gorgeous little, it's called uh, Rocky Fork Lake. Boy, is it a delight. That's fun. Ohio, generally your neck of the woods is a good place to be a fan of the lake house. Uh, yes. I realized that as I've written financial plans for people that live out there, you can you can attain a lake house for still still what would be a pretty penny, but not completely out of reach of the every everyday man. Yes. Yes. My my financial plan includes a lake house somewhere, somewhere in there. Cool. Well, what are we uh, what are we gathering to kick around today? Well, speaking of um, of somebody having a lake house, these are these are wonderful believers here, by the way, who are hosting me, um, and they have they have been elders in the city of Cincinnati for a long time, uh, both w- both within and without uh, the uh, church organizations. And wait, wait. There's elders outside of church organizations. Yes, there are. If people wanted to know about that, they might go back and listen to our series on elders. Correct. Yeah. Okay. They might want to hear about elders, which the Bible describes in detail and never once says has any reference to an organization. The organization, the organism is the family, and we're supposed to know who our elders are. Well, this couple it's hosting me our elders and they have a lake house. So it kind of, depending on where you're from, it might provoke a question, which is, hold on a second. Um, do they live in the comfortable suburbs of Cincinnati? Yes, they do. Um, and do they have this wonderful lake house as well? Yes, they do. Whoa, hold on. Isn't that a bit ostentatious? Is that a bit too luxurious, etc.? And it, and it reminds me of, um, we got an email recently from a, a longtime listener who said, I, I'd like for you guys to talk about, um, I don't know how he put it, but it was like, what do we do if we're low income, we don't have much in savings, how do we start living in a way that that is multi-generational, in a way that says, hey, I, I, I want to steward my money the way the Lord tells me to, and I want to thank, um, thank long-term inheritance, et cetera, but I don't have much dosh at hand. So in order to properly answer that question, I think we have to start all the way back and just talk about poverty. Are you fine with that? Yeah, I, I think this is actually a pretty common question that we get. Yes. Uh, we have Given our our niche here at the Abraham's Wallet podcast at the intersection of finances and faith, I think we attract a relatively large number of people who might be working in jobs like full-time ministry. Yes. And so, I don't know, it's probably once every couple of weeks we get an email from somebody that says, hey, I work in ministry, so I don't make much money at all. Yeah. What, what am I supposed to do? Uh, it doesn't feel like I should make much money because I'm giving my life to uh, something more important. Right. Uh, and so I think that whether it's because somebody's just starting out or because they've chosen a career that really fits with their gifting and calling and provides for their needs, but not much beyond that, or because they're actively sacrificing a whole lot uh, to do something there's a lot of people out there who are, are dealing with this question of you guys with your cute talk of how to save on taxes. If you make more than a half million dollars a year is completely irrelevant to me. <laughs> right. Um, 
And I'm not even sure I'm okay with any Christian right. thinking that way. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's what I'm happy to address. I, I also think people might share my story, which is my story is my parents are, my father at least, is from total poverty. He, through a life of faithfulness, came out of that and lived really the American dream for somebody born in the 40s anyways, which was to own a house um, and to own your cars. And that, that was pretty much, he, he, he got it. Um, and we went on, you know, we went on modest vacations. They put us through college. However, I would say, and we'll talk about this as we go, but I would say my father still has kind of a poverty mindset. He still thinks in those terms, and that's what I grew up with. And so I decided in my teens that I wanted to live for the Lord. And so I wanted to pursue him. I thought, I'm not really interested in a career outside of pursuing him. So I made peanuts and lived on peanuts and was happy to live on peanuts for a long time. And as I have grown up, you, you get some children and suddenly you realize, oh, uh, providing for them is a good thing, is a noble and righteous thing. Oh, considering the future is a righteous thing. And obviously, as we sit here at Abraham's wallet, um, I've grown to a place of kind of going, oh, I not only um, want to do that, but I want to do something like stewarding wealth. And I want to go out and make money. So I think that a lot of people are caught between the teeth of those two worlds of feeling what I used to feel, which is, I always thought that less was better than more for me personally. Um, if, I could, if I could make do on little and be at peace with it, that that was holy, holier than having more. And that um, people who have little, they deserve what I could, what I could give to them just by default of having little, which if you follow that through, well, what happens when they, what if they're responsible to what you give them? Then they're not deserving for you to give them anymore. I'm just telling you where I came from. And, and I, I was so kind of committed to getting rid of as much as I could because I saw Jesus's command to be on your guard against all kinds of greed is a command from Jesus, be on your guard. So I always thought about how if you saw a sign that said, be on your guard against bears that are, inhabit this area, you wouldn't say, oh, good to know. You'd actually take steps to prevent them from getting to you. And you would take steps to arm yourself. So I always thought, well, I want to take active steps against greed and to arm myself against it. So one of the foolish and naive thoughts that I had was, if I get rid of stuff, I'm preventing greed from entering my heart. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, there are greedy, poor people all over the planet, as, as some people might know. And so greed is an attitude of the heart and, and hoarding is an attitude of the heart. And as, I, as I'm demonstrating by sitting here, these people who have this wonderful lake house are not hoarding this place. They, matter of fact, they have a little guest book, and it seems like they seldom ever visit here. It just seems like there is a revolving door of believers who come and use this place, um, which I think is pretty awesome. So anyways, I think that a lot of people um, experience what I have, which is they came from a religious environment where they, they were taught that less is better and that having an ambition to have more is not the Lord. And so that's, that's kind of why I want to chew, chew on this from the ground up. Or what did you do? I did what I've always feared I would do one day <laughs> and didn't push record on my little uh, digital recording unit until just now. So well, hey. you, can, 
you can just view the scratchy lapel mic thing that was happening at the beginning of this podcast as part of the atmosphere we're creating here at the lake house. Oh uh, yeah, it's, we're it's just, raw. It's real. Yeah. I, I would Sorry. also say Sorry, guys. we're, we're going to make this episode half price because of the audio issues. Yeah, we're we're going to give you that that sponsor bit that we did for Iron Rose Furniture Company. Yeah. We're not, we're not even going to charge you for hearing about a way that you can save money and get high quality furniture. Fantastic. Home. Okay. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about poverty. Um, the place that we start to know what we think about anything is the scriptures. So we're going to start with the Old Testament. And what you're going to see today is that we are very heavy on Proverbs. Proverbs, I love Proverbs because it's so straight talky. Um, it doesn't try to be spiritual. It's very practical. Um, um, Proverbs is written in the real world with the real world in mind, and it's written to regular people. Proverbs is kind of like a life hacks of, of the Bible. Like if you just want to know how to do this right, just do this. So I'll say this in general. We'll start looking at some passages. In, in scripture, poverty is always a problem. It's just something for you to understand. Poverty is a problem, and it's never a blessing, never a blessing, and it's certainly never an aspiration that the Bible would recommend for anybody. It's a problem. There are even places that indicate that, that poverty is a curse. Now, I'm going to have caveats in a minute for people who find themselves in poverty, and I've been there, but let's just look at what the Bible says. Okay, Proverbs 20 verse 13 says, don't love sleep lest you come to poverty, open your eyes, and you'll have plenty of bread. Don't love sleep or you'll come to poverty. Open your eyes and you'll have plenty of bread. So there's a command that says, don't love sleep. Now, that's just a really interesting thing for, for um, Abrahamic fathers. There is, we live in a culture that prizes itself, brags about, look at the t-shirts, look at the signs you can buy that put in your house, look at the posts that people put online. I love coffee. I'm not, I can't, I'm going to be terrible to you unless I have some coffee. You've seen those t-shirts and mugs and bumper sure. stickers. Similarly, we, you can go to, I don't know where you buy, where women buy sleep clothes. I guess Gap or somewhere would have these. It'd be a really nice soft thing. And it's just like, I, what it says is just like, I worship sleep. You'll see these things that go, I have, I mean, just like the, you'll see 60 year old, 50, 60 year olds. And they'll have something that goes like, I got, it's wine time. I got to have my wine because that's just a, that's a must in my life. I would just warn our people against having any idols like that in your life. Even if that's your favorite football team, even if it's, I'm going to be a millionaire, whatever your thing is, I'm going to have a lake house someday. We just got to watch out for idols like that. So sleep as common and as wonderful and as what a gift from God that it is. We're not supposed to love sleep because the result of loving sleep too much is poverty. And poverty is seen as a curse, a cursed, cursed result of loving sleep in this verse. It says, open your eyes and you'll have plenty of bread. Okay, Proverbs 24, 33 and 34 says, very, like, very much like it, a little sleep, you've probably heard this before, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will bam come on you like a robber and it will i love bandit I'm, i think that's niv that says it'll come on you like a bandit and want will come on you like an armed man so if if you just think well i know i'm 24 um i have a degree i don't have any uh, uh student loans to pay off so I'm just going to cool my heels for a while, and I'm just going to mooch for a while and see how that goes. 
I'm not going to develop a, a work, a work ethic and a life of faithfulness and work. It says poverty is going to come upon you like a bandit and is going to rob you blind. There might be some people out there. I've been having conversations with folks who have said to maybe they lost their job in the middle of the craziness of the past year. And they've said to me, you know, I, I'm out there looking at new jobs and because of the the decisions that the government has made right now, I realized it's only like $150 a week more for me to go get a pretty high-paying job versus to stay home and take this enhanced unemployment right now. And thankfully, because we work with high-end people, um, they have said, well, I'm going to go out and work because I think there's value in, in that for the long haul. But... I am sure there are people listening to this podcast who are saying, yeah, I'm not 23 anymore. I'm not going to go move into my parents' basement, but I might just take it easy for, and let's see how long this gravy train keeps rolling uh, because, uh, you know, I'm 34, but I'd like to just uh, take the take the handouts and maybe, maybe that'll continue for a little longer. Uh, and I, I guess what you're saying is the Proverbs speak to that just as much as they speak to the recent college grad. They certainly do, Mark. And that's a bad idea for somebody to do that. That's a bad idea. If, if unemployment, um, if some socialist government wanted to pay you to not work, a godly man would say no to the offer and would take even less money to work. Uh, we haven't done it. We haven't done an episode on work, but we're going to. It's it's on our to do list, and we're going to talk about work extensively. You're you're not saying to reject the unemployment in the time when they're offering it. No, you're saying to get out and work. Well, we're in the event planning business. So what do you do when there's no events to be had? By the way, yesterday, the state New of event? Ohio. What? New events. Well, they're going to be. The state of Ohio just declared that as of June 2nd, all mask mandates will be lifted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means that events are going to happen and people will be so excited to do stuff. And they should come to vivabellaevents.com and contract us to lead their parties, weddings, corporate events. Anyhow, so the the dude who, let's say you're an event guy, you're a caterer. Uh, you have not had work for a while. So here's my recommendation. Number one, take the, take the money. If they are handing out money for free, take the money. If it was a trade-off between you, we don't want you to work to take the money, don't take the money. But if it's you can't work, we're handing out money. Great. Take the money. What I would say is in that off time, you might need some rest, by the way. The Bible just does talk about times of rest, um, and, and there, there should be seasons of rest. When I was talking about that 24-year-old, I'm talking about a guy who's work-averse and doesn't want to work. That's a problem. Um, so let's say you, I mean, you didn't need a, you didn't need a year, and a half, year and a half of rest, which what it's what it's a, a been about now. So let's say you needed three months because you've been working your tail off for 30 years and you needed three months and you took it, you lived off of whatever for that time. Then you can't work, you're a caterer. Um, you've got some government money. You, you look for ways to be faithful around you. Look at the ant, the scriptures tell us. Look at the ant. So what does an ant do? Well, he's constantly tending his little hill. So I would expect a caterer's house and landscaping to be in utter tip-top shape right now because he's had so much time to all do all of the honeydews around his house. Well, someday I'll get to working on that fence. Well, you should have worked on the fence. You have time now. You, we shouldn't stop working because there's maybe not a dollar attached to that work. The other thing is, you know, if you start looking at your finances and go, well, there's a huge delta between what the government made me and what I'm used to, then dude, flex, go find some other work. We can all mow yards. We can all shovel gravel, um, whatever you got to do. So 
I do want to address that guy. We, so, we we do have sympathy for the bro who can't find work. And if they need some tips on how to maintain their physical environment, they could come to the Abraham's Wallet podcast and scroll back two episodes where we did a whole a whole hour on how to take care of your stuff. That's true. There's plenty of work to be done on your car alone, probably. You could probably uh, do some carpet scrubbing and a hand wax on your car just to take care of that very large investment that you drive around. Okay, there's a New Testament verse I want to insert here after Proverbs 24, and it's Ephesians 5, 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think that's a very interesting verse. Remember, we're not supposed to be lazy, a little sleep, a little slumber, and poverty will come upon you like a bandit. But this guy, hey, lazy thief, don't steal anymore, but work doing honest work with your own hands. And then the therefore is so he may have something to share with anyone in need. I'll just underline that phrase and say somebody, um, a crazy person, person who does not have mental, uh, they're not mentally together they're not really good at giving pastoral advice and wisdom to other people. They're not a good person to go to for that. People who are bereft of relationships, they've got multiple divorces in their past. They are isolated from their children who no longer talk to them. They might not be the person to give you relationship advice on how to speak to people, you know, in a loving but truthful way. You might want to look for people who have success and abundance in their relationships and go, I'm willing to get input from you on relationships. People who um, don't know God, maybe not a good person to take spiritual advice from. Similarly, if you don't have any money, you have nothing to give. And so a person who is in poverty, um, the scripture wants us to be generous people. I remember, I remember feeling like, oh, I know God wants me to be generous. And, and these are the days when, you know, I had a year of my life where I made $9,000 and I wanted to be generous. And so there were times when I would give away 50 bucks and I'm, I have my face in my hands going like, Lord, I want to be generous, but I'm just trusting you to pay the bills as I give away 50 bucks. Um, that's hard. It's hard to be very um, generous when you have when you have no margins. So the scripture would advise us to have such margins that we can give something. I'm quoting Ephesians 5:28, so that we can have something to share with anyone in need. That means that if I see somebody broken down on the side of the road, God moves on my heart. I could pull over and write a check or pull out a $50 bill out of my pocket, hand it to them, say, I'm sorry for your trouble. God bless you. And, and then go on your way and never think twice about it because you have enough. Okay. A couple more verses. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to uh-oh, abundance. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. That, that, that could be a theme verse for Abraham's wallet. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to, uh-oh, there's going to be a curse that comes after this. There was a, this is how Proverbs works. It's called parallelism. There's always this thing where something good happens and then something bad happens, and we're supposed to compare them to each other. So the plans of the diligent lead to abundance. People who don't have plans, they're just hasty. They do whatever appears in front of them. They're impulsive. That comes only to, so there was a blessing that came from diligent plans. That was abundance. The opposite's going to be true for everybody who's hasty and impulsive. They come only to poverty. So it's, again, it's a curse. It's not a good thing. The sluggard, this is Proverbs 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. That's really about making plans. 
And, and I want you to see that the one who has nothing, the Bible would call them, um, would, would say that there is, there is some kind of a curse present. And it doesn't say that this is true of everybody, but a lazy person ends up with nothing. Okay, now my little caveat here is that the, the sin that's present producing poverty for you, if you find yourself in poverty, poverty today, the sin might not be yours. So I, I just want to say that if you find yourself in poverty, you might have an outage in your belief. I would say I had an outage in how I understood the Lord and what his will was for me when I was a young man. Um, but it might be that you're a really faithful man and you live in a country where the government takes 60% of everything you earn. It could be that- Like California. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or you just find yourself in an unjust situation. It could be that your grandfather was robbed of the family estate that he worked, that, that took five generations to build. And now you're rebuilding. I mean, all sorts of things can happen that put you in a place of poverty, we would simply say there is sin present if poverty is present. It's come from somebody. That's what the scripture would say. Slavery produces poverty for the slave, but that doesn't mean the slave is in sin. There's, a, there's something about the situation that is sinful. Um, I, I'll just turn a corner here in saying if we, if we say that Poverty is always a problem. It's always a curse or a hardship. It's never a blessing. It's never an aspiration. In Luke 4, Jesus says that he came to, quote, preach good news to the poor. Now, I just want you to know that if he came to preach good news to the poor, it's a problem or an affliction that needs the kingdom of God to enter into it. That's what Jesus said. I came here to deal with the poor, and to eradicate that poverty. So his kingdom does not end in poverty. It's a problem and an affliction that he comes to solve. Preach good news to the poor. So I'll just say, just say that we, we don't come to judge you if you're in poverty. Um, and, and if you're not in poverty, we would certainly never be haughty um, or judgmental about those in poverty. We would have compassion on somebody in poverty the same way we'd have compassion on somebody that doesn't know the Lord. We would say, you need salvation. You, 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 his kingdom has not come to you fully. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a lot of uh, investigation and it takes an interview to find out where, where the where the root of the sin is, you know, it's again, it's not always in the person. Thoughts? The one thing I want to stick in here is that, you know, when we talk about poverty and the negative, the sin root of poverty, a lot of people here, you say, well, if there's not poverty, then that person's doing something good right, or, or right. And sure, there's there's evil people who do good things with their money, uh, and then there's evil people who get all their money via dishonest gain, and the scripture has something to say to them, too. Uh, but that's not what you're saying, and I just want to underline it as you go, because um, the lack of poverty is not an indicator of the Lord's favor, necessarily, right. or of... Uh, approval of the the person who's right. happens to have their hands on enough money that poverty is not immediately evident uh so that's point one and point number two is there's there's poverty that's not financial in nature yes um so i without getting into any specifics i have worked with people who had millions of dollars in the bank but carried an extreme poverty mentality. Mm. Um, and so I'm just going to leave that there and say, you, you can't always identify this sucker uh, based on somebody's bank account or whether they even, you know, have adequate shelter and food. Good point. 
yeah, to reiterate that and agree with it, um, it's certainly the case that because someone has money does not mean that they've done something right or, or that God's, God approves of them. We would say his favor is on them. Um, sure. um, but uh, for instance, Proverbs 22, two says the rich and the poor meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. The, the Imago Dei, the image of God is on every man. And he pursues every man because he wants everyone to come into repentance. But there's passages like 1 Timothy 6, where we get a long diatribe of warnings for people who have money. So we have much to say about people who have money. That's just not what we're talking about today. And, and yeah, please don't, don't hear me say that if you have money, you're approved by God. Um, or, I mean, another, another thing that I wanted to say at some point today was um, the idea that if you are if you are faithful to God, if you pursue Him, the results will be tons of money. Um, that that's what has been popularly called the prosperity gospel. That the gospel is a way to for of financial gain. I simply want to demonstrate that where there is the the shalom of God, there's abundance everywhere. It doesn't mean that you're hoarding it or that you get three houses. It means that there's enough. There's, there's plenty. The, the picture of plenty, the, the picture of um, shalom is when Jesus breaks bread and feeds the 4,000. And it was just enough, right? Wasn't it just enough for that crowd? No, there were 12 baskets left over. And and they took all of the leftovers and go, does anybody want any more? Does anybody want thirds? Because we've got plenty. So the shalom of God, where he comes, there's plenty. The, the, the land that's flowing with milk and honey, the picture is that the udders on the cows are dripping with milk because there's so much milk and everyone's satisfied. It's flowing with honey because the honey is oozing off of the honeycombs and everything that anybody needs has already been taken care of. There's just abundance everywhere. That's the Garden of Eden. That's where, that's where he's taking his, his, uh, his kingdom people. That's, that, that's, that's our destiny, is that place in him, which is an awesome picture. I think I would simply say that um, there's no promise that you're going to end up with a million dollars if you're faithful. But I believe there is a promise that if sin isn't present, that, that um, well, just look at these Proverbs, that through diligence, more and more and more. Here, I'll, see it, I'll say it again. You can argue with the Bible. The plans of the diligent lead to abundance, but everyone who is impulsive or hasty comes to poverty. Okay, let's, let's look at a few more passages. That, that's, this talks about our response to the poor. So when people write us and say, I don't have any money, but I'm trying to follow the Lord. I love that. That makes me excited. I think the story of your family line is about to change. A few verses on that. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, open your mouth for the mute and for the rights of all who are destitute. That is, whoever doesn't have the ability to speak up for themselves, you speak up for them. Um, that's definitely the posture of the righteous is that we look for those who don't have the ability to speak up. I mean, lawmakers aren't poor people, right? The people on Capitol Hill are not poor. And so they often um, treat the poor as a means to, to gain politically. And so there have to be righteous people on Capitol Hill who consider what's actually best for those in poor, what actually gives people the best handhold to get out of poverty. That's what we're supposed to do around our lives normally, is give people a, a, a handholds into experiencing more of the kingdom and getting out of poverty. Um, Proverbs 17.5 says, listen to this, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. God takes it personally if you mock the poor. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. So I, I'm telling you this, I mean, we think of poor people as, as, I don't know, 
pure hearted. Um, and so when we think of like uh, storms in Haiti, we think of um, rockets going into Israel right now and our hearts go out to them as they should. Um, we're sh by the way, pray for the peace of Jerusalem right now while you're listening to this. Just tell the Lord that you're asked for peace in Jerusalem. But I can tell you that for me, the people that I don't like, the people that I'm against, whether it's philosophically or theologically or just personality clashes, um, my tendency, this is, this is a good German word, schadenfreude, which is having gladness at their calamity. And the Bible tells us you do not have gladness at somebody's calamity. Um, that won't go unpunished. So if there's any of that in your heart, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for ever taking joy in someone's bad circumstances. Here's an interesting uh, point from Deuteronomy 15. There will never cease to be poor in the land. Uh, we hear Jesus saying the same things, don't we? When he says, you will always have the poor with you. Jesus knows his Torah and Deuteronomy 15, 11 says, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So we're to be giving people and we're supposed to be able to give out of abundance. So it's unwise for you to give to the point that you find yourself in poverty. It would be unwise for you to serve people so much that you have nothing more to give. You're gonna, just going to serve people around the clock. I'm going to serve at the homeless shelter around the clock. Well, in about three days, you're done, and you won't, you won't be any use to anybody because you haven't been diligent and responsible. You haven't done the Proverbs 21.5 where the, pl the plans of the diligent lead to abundance. You haven't been diligent. You were impulsive. You, you, didn't, you didn't pace yourself. So what we're supposed to do is be building a, 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 a foundation of abundance under our own roof, and then we have more to give. That's what's supposed to happen. Do you have some financial response to that, that idea that we're supposed to be faithful in our own homes, and then we have more to give? Well... I'll just reiterate what we've kind of said from the beginning of the, the blog and now podcast, which is a lot of folks think that they are given money almost as a test from the Lord to see how much of it they will jettison from their hands as quickly as possible. And if, if the answer is 100%, you get an A+. Plus. If, it's, if it's, you know, 10%, then you get a passing grade. And if it's less than 10%, then you are going to have a bad day uh, when you come into judgment before the throne. And I think that what this says is that sometimes the Lord uh, actually entrusts money to you, not just to provide for you to be generous today, but to steward well, and it actually gives you the opportunity to be far more generous in the future. Um, now, that can be an excuse, just like everything we're saying can be an excuse um, it, to say, hey, I'm just going to steward this money by buying this vacation home and uh, taking all these trips and, you know, door dashing every three days a week and, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, someday we're, we're going to be able to be so generous because we're just rolling in it. Right. If, uh, you have greed, if you have greed in your heart, you'll misuse all of this stuff. Right. Uh, but I do always challenge people who have big generosity goals. And I have to be really careful here because I want people to, you know, sometimes the Lord says, empty the coffers. Yes, he does. I gave you all of it for this moment. Yes, he does. Um, and so I got to be very careful. But I also challenge people to ask themselves the question, um, am I giving... Am I being extremely generous right now because I feel like this is that moment? Um, or 
am I maybe giving because I feel like that's the most holy thing to do with money? And if I wasn't to give, what would it look like to kind of hang on to and grow a culture of generosity that could be multiple generations long with the the stuff I've been entrusted with? And that, that can be true for people that have millions of dollars, or it can be true for somebody who makes $25,000 a year and has a little bit of extra. Um, that question's worth asking, just when you think about how much of the, the stuff I've got to give away, should I give away? And I agree with you, we don't want to be the person who works themselves to the bone and is done after three days. We want to be sustainably generous unless we hear from the lord hey this is this is the moment like you're going to die on this hill so let's go right yes we're just trying to lay out the biblical foundations about how to think about these things but of course the the lord said to the rich young man sell everything you've got and give it all away the problem is that the church has tended to take a situation like that and present it as if it's normative. It's not normative. Jesus was around thousands and thousands of people in his life. We know of him saying that to one guy. And he was trying to put his finger on something in that guy's heart. We learn at the end of the story, he loved money very much. But loving the Lord and loving your family would produce faithfulness, and it would also produce abundance, as we have said. Um, so we, we want to talk about the, the, the kingdom normative uh, ideas. That's right. So up to the moment, we have kind of, we've started with an idea that we were going to explore poverty, and I feel like where we've, we've come to right now is um, kind of what are the roots of poverty? What does what what does it look like often and what 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 about our crew who's saying okay i i agree with you i believe all that but but i still make $26,000 a year and uh i don't know how any of that's relevant to my situation i know the our our crew wants to get very practical and we will get very practical but the reason that we're laying this foundation is because if we try to get practical without knowing what the scriptures say, we're going to get off base. So this is the beginning of a series that we're doing on poverty. Oh. In my mind, it's a three-part series. I'm just trying to start with how let's get our mind around poverty and let's all just join hands and say we hate it together. That we hate poverty is not part of the kingdom of God. And even if you find yourself in that place, let's just say it's not God's will that I stay here. I don't, be, I don't believe that it is. Um, so what I want to end with today is to just talk ab about God's intention. So again, we'll get practical. We'll end, I hope we'll answer every, every kind of a major question around poverty in subsequent weeks. Can, can I interrupt you for one quick question? Yeah. Do you think poverty, at least in our culture, amongst our friends could be defined using only financial terms like is it a is it a for sure thing that if a man is 28 years old and makes less than x dollars he's in poverty and, and has no no savings for example or or would that definition be a little harder to pin down well as you were describing with your multi-millionaire people that you've spoken with um they can, they, we're going to talk about a spirit of poverty in subsequent weeks. So we're getting to like spiritual strongholds here. Um, and I, I would dare say this would be the, one of the few times that we will get into spiritual strongholds on this uh, podcast, but we're going to do it to talk about the spirit of poverty. And I would say your multimillionaire people you're referring to um, who are afraid they're afraid of bad tidings. They're confident that things are going to go poorly for them or for their children. They, they even see the wealth that they have not as a blessing, but as this onerous hardship, really, that they have to kind of endure. Um, and then, there, of course, there's the, there's the families that don't want to pass on money to their, to their children because they see it as a they see it as, as a curse on their children. We'll say there's something going on there. 
There's something going on there. Um, and we would say that that's a spirit of poverty. So I, I think what you're getting at, I think you, what you want me to say is um, a dude who's making very little money, he might not have any poverty on him. He might be free in the Lord and he's building something that's beautiful and God is telling him to be faithful in a small thing and he's going to put him in charge over much. Um, and somebody who's really killing it and pulling down several hundred K a year might be knee deep in poverty that, that, you know, so the measure is, uh, complex, how to measure it. And certainly financial is only the most obvious way to, to measure poverty. There's, there's other levels. Does that check the box for you? Sure. I'm thinking about already parts two and three of the series and the emails that have come in from folks. And I, I think people might be asking themselves come the end of this episode. So am I in poverty or am I not? That's great. Shouldn't we be the experts to help people answer that question? By golly, we should. Right. I just want to get it on the table that we haven't necessarily told you the, the answer to no, that. And, and am I in poverty is not necessarily something that can be answered by looking at your financial statements. True. And we will look at the earmarks of, of poverty um, subsequent in subsequent episodes. But I would just want to end today. We've talked about poverty, what it is biblically. And I just want to talk about what God's intention for the righteous is. And, and we've already said it, but I'll t- I got three words for you. Abundance, plenty, and nourishment. That's what the Lord's will is for the righteous. I'm going re- to read you two little passages. They're so exciting. Psalm 1. And I'm going to read from the um, Amplified. I like to Amplify because it, it does a lot of defining of terms for us. And it does that by giving you a lot of synonyms in a row a lot of times, just so you understand the, the, the Hebrew word. So blessed, that means fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked following their advice and example. Nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers, that is, ridiculers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Torah of God. And on this Torah, God's precepts and his teachings, that's what we're doing today. We're looking at God's precepts. The Bible tells us to build wisdom line upon line. That's what Isaiah says. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to build line upon line. So we're going to the roots here. On the law, God's Torah, his precepts and teaching, he habitually meditates day and night. Okay. So we're talking about somebody who loves God's word and he meditates and thinks and delights in God's truth. Now listen to this. That guy will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water. This observation has been made for centuries. The tree that's planted beside a river is never wanting of water. It's always got water. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. Whatever he does, it just seems like when this guy starts getting into car detailing, it just goes well for this guy. When this guy gets into sticker manufacturing, holy smokes, how do, why does everybody want to buy this guy's stickers? Everything he does prospers because his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, I know everybody's mind is going to the exceptions to this rule. You think, now, hold on a second. I'm just reading you God's word. Just agree with it, that this is true. This is God's word. Everybody who delights in the law and on that law, God's precepts, he habitually meditates. That guy will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water, which three things, it yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf 
never withers. And whatever he does, he prospers and it comes to maturity. So let me read the first part of that verse again. Blessed, that is fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but he does these things. So prosperity and maturity and fruit yielding is part of God's plan for the righteous. That's Psalm 1. Now I'm going to read another passage. This is like one of my absolute favorites, um, just for talking about a righteous man. It's Psalm 112. It describes a righteous man. I'm sure that we referred to it in in a post on abrahamswallet.com before because it's it is the reference passage for what a righteous man looks like this is psalm 112 praise the lord hallelujah here it is again sounds a lot like psalm 1 blessed fortunate prosperous and favored by god is the man who fears the lord with awe inspired reverence and he worships him with obedience now listen I, I, I'm not trying to go prosperity gospel on you, but the Bible says this, Psalm 112.1 says that fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who fears the Lord with awe-inspired reverence and worships him with obedience. Psalm 1 says that it's about habitually um, meditating on God's word, and we're going to see that at the, at the end of verse 1 of Psalm 112, because it says he delights greatly in God's commandments. So to delight yourself in God's commandments is a setup for blessing. Now, here's what the blessing is going to look like, starting in verse 2 of Psalm 112. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. If you ever wanted a passage that talked about multi-generations, I just read it to you. God loves the generations of a righteous man. By all accounts, from what I understand, Billy Graham was a righteous man. And his descendants, I had the pleasure of knowing his grandson who who went to school at Baylor while I was at A&M. I had a lot of friends at Baylor. Dude, that guy's life, and I'm talking about his parents, his aunts and uncles, his cousins, it was just like, there was just fullness around this guy. Everything he did was great. And he had a good heart for the Lord. He's still a great guy. He's, he's, I think he does financial planning. He's very successful. He's a wonderful guy because one of, the, one of the reasons, I know he gets to make his own choices and he has his own sin issues, but he's on the downline of Billy Graham, who, from what I understand, was a righteous man. His descendant, let me read it again, verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Here comes verse 3. Sorry if this upsets anybody, but it's right in your Bible. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Did you hear that? Wealth and riches are in the house of this blessed man who, with reverence, worships God. Verse 5 says, it is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He conducts his affairs with justice. Now we're talking about his financial affairs, talking about his business life. He's gracious to people. He, he, He lends money to people. He's generous. He's not a hoarder. This dude's got wealth. It told us that in verse three, and he conducts his affairs with justice. You can count on this guy. He's a guy you want to be in business partnership with. I'm going to skip down to verse seven. He will not fear bad news. There's no fear in him. That has to do with this poverty spirit. His heart is steadfast, trusting, confidently relying on and believing in the Lord. Love that. He is trusting and he's steadfast. He's the same no matter what circumstances are around him. His heart is upheld. He will not fear while he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. Now, just just to put a point on that one, in the Old Testament, the enemies of God 
were largely human beings. In the New Testament, we're told that uh, we don't have any fleshly enemies, that our enemies, as is Ephesians 6, um, they don't have skin. Our enemies are things like the spirit of poverty, the spirit of fear, um, impulsiveness. And then verse 9 just reiterates some stuff that we've already said today. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn, that is his strength and his legacy, will be exalted in honor. So, man, here's your, here's your passage, Psalm 112. Reactions to this guy who's painted for us in Scripture? Uh, no, I think it's really good to to kind of go to the Psalms for these pictures. When you were reading Psalm 1, I just had Craig Dockery in my head, who was our maybe one of our first ever Abraham's Wallet podcast guests. And his, right. first, his first sort of big hit was Like a Tree. Uh, so anytime, I, I, I set out a little while ago to try to not memorize all the Psalms, but get a topical sort of theme for which one Interesting. They, they are. And I failed pretty dramatically until I started finding songs that were just singing the Psalms and I would remember them. So like a tree is Psalm one. Um, like a tree is from, I think the name of that album was hymns for trucks. Wasn't it? That's right. That's right. And, and hymns for trucks. Um, if you're new to our podcast, just watch well, out. Psalm 124 talks about the pickup trucks of the man who is righteous. And I think that's where the title of the album came from was another song. I don't know what you're talking about exactly, but um, Craig's record is the, is the only worship record I know that has an explicit warning on the, on the <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, thanks for kind of taking us through the, the foundational scriptures that we need to know in order to have a reasonable conversation about poverty yes i do have something that i was gonna ask you about before we tune out we don't often involve our listeners in kind of the stuff you and i need to work out just between each other um but i thought there's there's a question i have for you that's been on my mind really you're a friendship counselor out there is that what you're so that's happening here. No, this isn't a f- that. Uh, okay. I just I live in Salt Lake City. Our NBA team is the Utah Jazz. I wanted to speak about this to you. It's a big year for the Jazz. They're they're getting a little bit out over their skis here in town and talking about well, you know, the governor said if they if we win the championship, we're going to have a great parade and I'm oh, just boy. thinking you guys have never been here before, but <laughs> Here's my question, Stephen. Now, hold There's... on. Before we get to your question, I- I'm worried about your boy Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, it seems precautionary, His the, the time he's taking off right now. All right, you're not worried. I remain a Mavericks fan at the core of my being, but I do like when the local team's killing it. Of course. They're in the number one seed right now. Yes. And this new format for the playoffs is a play-in tournament, which means yes. the 9 and 10 seed get to play. And then the seven and eight seed will play for who gets to play the two seed. The two seed is the Phoenix Suns, who are also looking very good, but it's sort of similar to the Jazz in that they're not one of those teams that have struck fear in the hearts of others. The seven and eight seed that are playing to figure out who plays the Suns are the Lakers and the Warriors. Yeah. So those would both be teams that traditionally, uh, over the past few years, have struck fear into their opponents' hearts. Yes. Um, <laughs> So if we assume that the Lakers and the Warriors, one of them's going to play the Suns and the other's going to trounce whoever wins the Grizzlies and Spurs series. I just want to point out to everybody, this is so important to Mark. He's actually looking at notes that he's written down so that he can talk about NBA playoffs, which I find delightful. Okay, go ahead. Finish your question. I just want to know for the for the Jazz, the kind of best record in the league, but... Mm, I don't know if I, I we don't none of us know if they're proven in combat. Are we hoping to play the Lakers or the Warriors in the first round? And uh, and if you're the Lakers or the Warriors, do you hope to win that first game and play the Suns, or do you hope to lose it and play the Jazz? 
Oh, these are great questions. Well, my answer to your first question regarding the jazz would be, I think you would be rooting to play the Warriors, um, spe just specifically because um, the strengths of the Lakers are run so parallel to the strengths of the jazz. And I think the, and the Lakers might, might have you on that. Um, but the Warriors are a completely different style of play than the jazz. And I think that what the jazz do is particularly with their inside presence. I think that they could, I think they could stick hmm. it to the Warriors. Now the okay. second, what was the second question? If you're the Lakers and the Warriors, is there any thought in your brain of uh, tanking that first that first play-in game so that you can go play the Jazz instead of the Suns? Uh, no. <laughs> you you prefer the Suns? Yeah, I I, I have legitimate uh, fear right now about the Jazz. If if Mitchell comes back, uh, they're they're no joke. Um, it feels like you talk about getting over your skis. It feels like the Suns have played over their heads. And I, I, my expectation, because the playoffs are traditionally defensive-minded, it's slower play. I, I don't think that I don't think the uh, Suns are going to last in the playoffs. So I, I would strongly prefer the Suns to the Jazz. Got it. Well, in other news, I feel like the our, our mutual favorites, the Mavericks, are set up for a potential run here, playing the Clippers. And then potentially the Suns or whoever the the Lakers Warriors Suns. Yeah, I, I, is. let let me just say I I'm I'm I am set for um, delight because I think if they went out with a whimper, um, everybody would kind of shrug their shoulders and go, "Well, that's the way they've been this year. It's been very up and down. We haven't seen enough of Porzingis and Luca together. Maybe they didn't build anything up. But all there is is upside. There's just there's That's delight. Right. There's delight sitting on the table. If they even make it out of the first round, we're just going to be in the delight zone. Right. So if you guys, if this is awful to you, you've probably already tuned out. If yeah, yeah, you're yeah. thinking, I'm, I'm interested in this stuff, go to abrahamswallet.com, search in the search box the word playoffs, and you <laughs> can see Stephen's old article on how to maximize your yes. NBA playoff dollars so i'm tying i'm tying it back into finance <laughs> yes. and uh you've written a couple good articles on how people can economically view the playoffs if they don't uh pay for cable tv that's very it's a very important question thank you for bringing us back there all right well i'm looking forward to talking specifics in the next couple weeks yes. about the spirit of poverty and also just what do you do if you find that you're not making enough money Woo! Great. Okay, see you later. Thanks, everybody.